How's everybody doing? Everybody excited about our move? Oh, it's going to be good. Got a real church coming. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? 11 years? Nine months? Three days? <laughs> but he hasn't been counting anything, so. There's a guy named um, John Stephen Aquari. He was from Nigeria as an Olympic runner. This is a number of years ago in the late 60s. He was a, um, a marathon runner. And this guy had injured himself very severely where he should have stopped. It's like a broken leg, but he refused to quit. And, and it was like an hour and a half after the race had been over. He came in, and there's just a few people left in the Coliseum. But they, they, the reporters came and said, why didn't you quit? Why didn't you give up? Why didn't you just stop? Everybody would have understood. He said, my country sent me 5,000 miles not to start a race, but to finish it. Amen. And I was thinking about that in light of the scripture in 1 Corinthians 9 where it says we're called to run a race. God didn't call us to stop along the way or go our own path. He set the course for us. And the glory isn't in beginning, because we can all start at different places. The glory is in the finish. And, and you know what? That's what God's looking for, is we've been fasting, we've been praying, we've been busting heaven open and, and, and binding up devils and saying, God, you got to move. And God's brought us over to this time. It's a crossover period. And God's saying, hey, those that are faithful, those that are strong, there's a lot of other people that were here 11 years ago starting this church. They're not here today. And that's not to say anything negative towards them because you know what? That's great in the beginning. They were like, when you build a building, what do you have to have? You've got to have scaffolding to build that building, right? We don't see the scaffolding today, but it was very necessary to accomplish the building. So you thank God for the scaffolding, but I want the permanent structure. You know, that's what God's called you to be as a pillar in the house of God. So if you're still here, you're still standing with us, God's got a purpose for you. There's a crossover experience. I believe this is marking the 31st of January is marking a crossover experience into a whole new level for New Heart Church. Anybody believe that with me? Yes. And it could be a crossover experience for your own personal life as well. This is what... The founder of the Methodist Church said years ago, John Wesley, he said, give me a hundred men who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and, I'll, and I will shake the world. I care not a straw whether they're clergymen or laymen, such alone will overthrow the kingdom of Satan and build up the kingdom of God on this earth. God wants a church of impact. We're crossing over to going into the next level. And I started thinking about that just, you know, we've, we've been given so many chances and then God says, I've got a destiny and a purpose on your life, but it's up to us whether we choose to walk in that destiny. We can forfeit that destiny if we don't continue in faithfulness to God. God doesn't owe us anything. I was thinking the other day, Viviana and I were driving around and, and a guy called me and said, hey, I want to give you a heads up that there, there's a guy that you used to disciple, minister to. He's going to be on 48 hours. This guy had more anointing, more power. He had the nation of Korea eating out of his hand. He was the star of um, one of the substars in Austin Powers. He's the little guy that played the, the odd job that threw the, the shoe instead of throwing the hat. This guy, he was a mixed martial arts 
superstar. I mean, he was just all over. There's an anointing of God. And he stood on the porch. And he said, Tommy, I want to get in your back pocket and ride. I want you to mentor me. And I never said this to anybody in my life, but I just had a funny feeling inside. I said, I said, Joe, a lot of people tell me that. Let's see where you are in six months. Six months later, he's departed. He's out doing his own thing, the money, the drugs, the cocaine, other stuff he shouldn't have been doing. And then shortly after, he departs, throws away, abandons the call of God. He rapes a girl, kidnap. And on March 16th, he's going on trial for, for murder of his cellmate. It was a 48-hour story called uh, Victoria's Story. It was horrifying. My stomach was just turning and like, God, this guy threw away his destiny. All the call, all the purpose, all the dreams ahead of him. And he's going to be doing multiple life sentences in jail. I started thinking of Ricky Barry Jr., all the potential in the world, first round draft pick in the NBA with the Sacramento Kings. I said, Ricky, listen, you need to give your life to God. You've, you've heard, you've, you've had the teachings and, and, and you still have not received. And he said, Tom, I'm just not ready. I said, Ricky, without Jesus, you can be a multimillionaire in the NBA, but you're gonna be bankrupt. Six months later, Ricky Barry Jr. commits suicide. I think of years ago, Kurt Cobain with the, um, you know, commits suicide and, and you know, here he is a, a grunge rock multimillionaire. Blows his brains out at the end of a shotgun. Lead singer Pearl Jam comes up and he says, listen, people send us cards and letters and they expect that we're gonna change their life. They think that we're something because we can put our feelings into music. They're looking for us for help, but you can't help somebody else if you're treading water yourself. And see, that's the lie of the devil, is that, that you can make it on your own. That you don't need to have a group like church to stand with you. I was thinking, how many of these people, if they could have knit in and, and had fellowship, and, and the church is here not only for your perfection, but your protection. To link arm to arm and say, listen, we're going in to receive our destiny together. That's the good news of this crossover period that we're in today, headed to the new church. Not only is the church, it's a brand mark of the church saying we're coming into a new level, new era as a church. But this can be your crossover experience, a new level into the blessings in your life. Just like Gladys was sharing. Why are you so favored? Because we've got a God on our side. I was thinking about this today. God never delivers you from something without delivery to something. Okay, we've been delivered as a church from being wandering, vagabond, kind of like the children of Israel. This is our crossover experience. We're crossing the Red Sea, going into the promised land. But God never delivers you from without delivering you to. When you got saved, he delivers you from the world to the kingdom of a living God. He delivers you from the flesh to a world of the spirit. He delivers you from compromise. You come out of the compromise and you come into commitment. He delivers you from unbelief into faith. He delivers you out of death into life. 
There's a crossover experience. There's a, there's a promised land for each and every single one of us. And, 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 and God has taken us through these tests. And, and, and every one of these great men of God I'm going to mention, they had an unusual crossover test. Before Abraham became the father of many nations, he was called to sacrifice his only son. That was an unusual sacrifice. Before David became king, he had to face his Goliath. It took unusual courage. Before Moses entered the promised land and he went through the Red Sea, that was his crossover, that was unusual faith. Before Jesus' earthly ministry, he had to go through his wilderness experience. Unusual commitment. And that's what God's looking for us, is the people of God. Unusual sacrifice, unusual courage, unusual faith, unusual commitment. That's the brand mark of a genuine Christian. I remember I've shared a number of times in this church in 1 Corinthians 10, this is why it's going to require homework of you today. You're going to have to go home and read some of this for yourself. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I've shared time and time again about the crossover experience of the children of Israel. And there were five deadly sins that kept them from reaching their promised land. And you gotta look at the, the chapter in context. You could read it on your own, 1 Corinthians 10, but you gotta ask yourself the questions. Why did God write this? There was compromise in the church. It was, sin was going unchallenged, unrebuked, much like the sin that's going on in church today unchallenged, lack of commitment. And, and there's many parallels, but, but bottom line is that the five sins, without going into it, and you'll see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can go there on your own. The disqualifications in chapter five are the same five disqualifiers to keep us from maturity from our destiny, churches from increase, and nations from becoming great. Same five sins. And what those five disqualifiers are, and you can see these on your own, it's idolatry, immorality, trying the Lord, grumbling and complaining, which is nothing more than a lack of faith, and then craving evil in the heart. That's probably one of the biggest. You're out of Egypt, but Egypt's still in your heart. New hearts crossing over. Are you coming with us? Because at every crossover, you got to make a decision. We're coming up to a new level. Is you. Is that proper English? That's gooder, huh? <laughs> you got to decide. Say, you know what? With every major change, there's change in relationship. And God's calling us up to a higher level. Are you coming with us? So as I talked about the five disqualifiers, I started thinking, well, that's kind of negative. What are the blessings if you are walking with God? If you are fond, the grace of God's there. The grace is when you get pulled over by the downy police, they give you, say, hey, get to church. Thank God, is, is, uh, you know, I'm Pastor Tom Surrounding, I pulled out the pastor card. He said, oh, church is important, you better get going. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hallelujah. No, it wasn't the phone, it was the illegal right turn. But it cost us our Red Bull. I mean, you know there's a spiritual challenge, brother. <laughs> so anyhow, I want to, instead of the five disqualifiers, I want to share with you the eight reasons you will enter the promised land. These are guaranteed promises 
The grace of God's there where none of us are perfect. But the Bible says that the grace is more than sufficient. When we fall short, he takes us the rest of the way. So by grace, through faith, these are the promises that are guaranteed for you and I. And they're extremely important to understand and know and get them down into your heart. Because if you know who you are, who you is. <laughs> Dana, that's not good English. She's here from Peru, so I don't want to corrupt her. <laughs> by the way, it's my friend Jacob over here too. Say hi, Jacob. Jacob and I met at CBS Studios a number of years ago, and, and uh, he was an actor, and he started, what are you, forensic science too? He's almost getting his master's. You go, boy. So he's in training with me for power feeds, too. I'm training him how to bend and break stuff. So, but anyhow, here's the eight reasons why you will enter your promised land of who you are in Christ. Number one, you've been created in God's image. Genesis 1.27 says this, so God created human be beings in his own likeness, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. So if you think about it, you were made in the identical likeness to God himself. You were created to supplant Lucifer, who was in charge of the praise and worship. God said, I want somebody for worship. It wasn't God was narcissistic or he was in need, but he said this is part of the characteristic of God that he wants to share. And he, he's given us human beings the ability to praise him, to worship him, to love him. And, and we were created in his image. Now, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why you get a guy like Kirk Cobain or, or my friend Joe Son that's in jail or, or, or uh, Ricky Barry Jr. that commits. They were created in the image of God, but there's this enemy that's very serious out to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't hate you as much as the image he sees of you because you remind him of God. You were created in his image. Secondly, you're a special creation from the very beginning of time. Before God ever created one human being, he already had you on his mind. Listen to this. This will blow you away. If this doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. That's how you say it, Kelly? There you go. God considers you important, and he always has. This is Psalms 139, verse 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. They cannot be numbered. What does that mean? They cannot be numbered. That's a whole lot of numbers. I can't even count them. They even outnumber the grains of sand in the sea. That's how many good thoughts God has about you. He has more good thoughts, because he's God, than there are grains of sand in the sea. Do you think you fire God up? He's got that many, I don't have that many happy thoughts about Pastor Chuck. Almost. <laughs> but God has more thoughts of good towards us than there are grains of sand on the ocean. God wants to do you good. So should we walk around in an expectation of God's goodness? God wants to bless you. What parent does not want to see his son or daughter blessed? Say, man, I want you to go for it. I want you to do bigger things than I've ever thought about doing. Three. So one, you're created in God's image. Two, you're a special creation from the beginning. Before there was ever time existing, God already had you as a thought. Number three, you're redeemed by his blood. 
First Peter 1.18 says this. Now, you got to get this. We're fallible. We're finite. We're fallen. We're so corrupt. It says none are saved. None are good. Paul, Paul was saying it, and you can see the expression on his face. Like he said, none are good. And here he's talking to the Pharisees, the most good people of their time. And he highlights it. No, not even one. Not even you. There are none righteous, none good enough, that we all fall short of God's standard. So redemption means that he takes that shortcoming, the sin, the error, the fault, the flaw, he says, I'll cover it for you. I'll pay the price. In Japan in the old days, they, the, before you ever visited Japan, you had to have what they called a second. You'd have to hire somebody like your insurance to be your second if you ever did anything wrong, your second would have to pay. Jesus was our second. He redeemed us. He paid for what we could never pay. So, in 1 Peter 1.18, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Part of the problem is most of us don't know that without God, our lives are empty. Just like that Ricky Barry Jr., bankrupt. All the money in the world, bankrupt. What's it going to do for you when you're bankrupt of heart? The wisdom of this world. I'm so smart. I'm so clever. Look, by my power and my strength, with the empire that I built myself. That's all emptiness and bankruptcy. Apart from God's wisdom. Apart from his redemption. So we know that God paid the ransom for our empty life. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. But it says the precious blood of the Lamb. There's nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus. There's no agent on the face of this earth that has the same working power as God's blood when he shed it on that cross. Nothing more valuable. And that's why it's so despicable. When we choose to live our lives apart from God, we choose to not make time for him Sunday at church. We choose to disobey his evident commands. And we walk away. You can see the frustration of God saying, man, I died for that. I died to redeem that. And we spit in his face because of our repetitive sin. We get so horrified when we see the uh, movies about Jesus, how they whip him and beat him. I, I remember the theaters filled with crying people and the passion as is, is, is Jesus was whipped and beaten. But we don't realize we do that to God when we live willingly in our sin. Treat his forgiveness, his redemption with contempt. Oh, it wasn't that big a deal. It was a big deal. How would you like to send your only son? Sacrifice for thankless people. And no thanks. I remember I used to tell the story on the power team. There was a, um, we use this to close out a lot of our meetings. That, that there was a, a river where there was a train that would go over the bridge and a boat that would go under the bridge. And there was a guy, a drawbridge operator, he had to operate. And supposedly it's a true story. With the power team, I never know. So... <laughs> And, and the drawbridge owner, was, he was supposed to be there and make sure that when the big ships went through, the, the bridge went up. 
the train's coming across, boom, the bridge would go down. And the way the story goes is that his son used to like to come watch him at work and was playing around. His dad had always warned him, stay away from those gears. And he fell into the gearbox and, and he got caught and trapped just as a train was coming. He had to lower that drawbridge. His son's screaming, trying to break free. He can't get free. In that split second time, the drawbridge operator had to make a decision. Life or death. Does he give up his son's life and push the button where the drawbridge comes down? Or does he let the hundreds of people on the train perish? At that last moment, he presses the button. The son, there's no, he shrieks and screams and the drawbridge closes. The gears turn and it crushes his son. The drawbridge goes down just in time. But then he looks and he sees the train full of passengers and people partying, getting drunk, having fun. And just that frustration, he's screaming, I gave my son for you. Don't you know what I did for you? How many times does God look at us? I gave my son for you. We're partying, we're carrying on, we're living our life separate as if nothing happened. And he says, hey, I redeemed you. My son had to pay the price through his blood. And what are you doing with that sacrifice? But because we're redeemed by that blood, it means number four, that we're his workmanship. So we're created in God's image. We're special creation. We've been redeemed by the blood. Number four, you are his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 says this, God created you anew, brand new, in Jesus Christ so that we can do good things that he planned for us from long ago, before the foundation of the world. It says, I created you for good works. There's nothing you can't do. There's no potential that's in you that you can't accomplish when God authors it. You're his masterpiece. The guy that built Mount Rushmore, he carved Mount, Mount Rushmore, Borglin something or other, I can't pronounce his name. But he was creating a bust ahead of, of Abraham Lincoln. Every day in his studio, he'd work on this bust and big granite block. And the cleaning crew would come in and, and, and they'd have to clean every day. And, and, and finally, after a couple of weeks, the cleaning lady comes up and, and, and she recognized Abraham Lincoln's face coming out from with the granite stone. And she said, oh, how did you know Mr. Lincoln was in there? It was just a big granite block. How did you know? He saw it. God sees you. Is it created? person that has, has full potential of doing incredible good works. He sees in you what you don't see in yourself. But because you've been created in his image, you've been creation from the beginning, you've been redeemed by the blood, you're his masterpiece. God says, you know what? I'm not through with you yet. I'm still chipping away. I'm still creating. One lady had a wristband and it had, had the initials P-B-P-W-M-G-I-N-F-W-M. -W -M. I'm like, what the heck? So I was being curious and I said, well, what the heck does that mean? And she said to me, you need to get one of these at work. It says, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me. 
God's not finished with us yet. Number five, God accepts you right where you're at, right where you are. You're already accepted. You don't have to earn or deserve. None of us would be good enough. But God says, I accept you right where you are. But the good news is that he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. So I'm still going to chip away. I'm still going to work at you. Yes, God accepts you just as you are, but he expects us to change. That's part of the nature of God, of growth, is he says, yeah, I'm going to take you as you are. But I'm going to mold you. I'm going to shape you. Salvation is instantaneous. Sanctification is daily. Well, if I got saved and God redeemed me with his blood, how come I still have corrupt thoughts? How come I still do bad things? Because you're an idiot. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm teasing. <laughs> because we're human. But on the daily basis, that's where we grow day to day. We have a steady incline. And where we fall short, the grace is always there. Here's Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Jesus said to his disciples, talking about change, if anybody wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Then you can read James, this notes again. You gotta look at this on your own. James 2, 20, 14 through 26. The whole scriptures that what it's pointing to is that, that our faith that God saves us, it produces by nature a process where we, we develop good works. In other words, you're not saved by works, but for works. There should be a natural byproduct of the seed of Jesus in you. It says you've been born again of the seed of Jesus. Every seed bears fruit after its own kind. So there should be a natural good works that follow from our being in right standing with God right where we're at. Supreme test of your love for God, 1 John 2, 3 and 4. But we know this, that if we come to know him, we know we're his if we keep his commandments. The one that says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. I was a liar. Why is claiming, oh God, get me on this football team and I'll serve you. And I was able to be team captain, miracle of making the team at all. But I was a liar. Because I wasn't serving him one day of my life. Out partying, drinking, carousing, cheating my way through school. Doing things that a Christian shouldn't do. There wasn't any fruit. Just like Burger King, show me the beef. Where's the fruit? <laughs> so number six. Do you realize you are a source of pleasure for God? Most of us just feel God tolerates us. We got him in a legal obli obligation. He died on the cross. We accept him. Now he's got to let us in. No, God has pleasure in you. If somebody's your best friend, why are they your best friend? Because you enjoy being around them. The Bible says we're friends of God. That's what separates us from 90% of all the other world religions. We have to earn or deserve your way to God. With Jesus, he says, I want to be a best friend. He says, I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
He enjoys being with you. Listen to this. Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He'll take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. God wants to sing about you. He's got to read it like you do that. God wants to have an intimate friendship with you. He likes being around you. Psalms 149 verse 4. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. And then number seven. So, so far we've got, we're created in his image. Special creation from the beginning. Redeemed by his blood. His workmanship. He's created you for good things. Five, God accepts you right where you're at. Number six, you're the source of pleasure for God. Number seven, Jesus is working in you. His power, his grace. The grace, what God has started in you. He'll give you the grace, the power, and ability to finish. Where he starts with you, he'll take you the rest of the way. Is it important to hear God, to fellowship with him? Because when you hear God, and he says, this is what I've called you to do. Then it doesn't become striving and a fight in warfare. But God spoke to me, I am going to do A, B, and C. Therefore, he's going to give me what he's called me to do. That puts obligation on God. If you start thinking of it this way, God is obligated to complete what he initiates. He's not obligated to complete what you initiate. I want to be a rocket scientist. Well, good luck. Especially with my 2.5 GPA, it just... <laughs> but if God calls you to do something, God's obligated to make it happen. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am certain. What does it mean, certain? Definitely, for sure. I am certain, definitely, for sure, that God who began, a, I can't get talked out of it, God who began a good work within me will continue his work until he's finally finished the day Jesus Christ returns. I'm confident of that. It's like having a, 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 a personal motivational coach 24-7. He's there with you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to stay with you. He's going to make sure that what he started, he's going to complete. And finally, number eight, you're a part of God's family, a part of God's inheritance. You're one of God's sons and daughters. Now, I don't know about you, but that fires me up. You're part of royal family. How should you walk? What kind of confidence should you have? Man, you should be head up high, chest out, shoulders back. I'm part of God's family. Do you know who I am? Hank Aaron was one of the all-time home run leaders. He beat Babe Ruth without steroids. He walked into an Atlanta hotel and, and, and the clerk said, Sorry, sir, uh, we, we, we don't seem to have a room for you. We're all filled. And all of a sudden, the manager comes running over. This is hammering Hank Aaron. He says, man, do you know who this is? This is one of the greatest all-time players for the Atlanta Braves. 
And the clerk said, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were somebody. And Hank Aaron looked at him and said, we're all somebody. But even with God, even more so, you're a somebody. That puts a subtle confidence in you. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to walk in arrogance. But there's a confidence of knowing who you are. I told you that joke about the lion walking through the jungle. He's running around and he's just roaring and scaring all the animals. I'm the king of the jungle. All the animals are scattering until he got to the elephant. And the elephant's just turned around and just boom, trampled him in the dust. And that lion shakes himself off, looks up, and he goes, well, you didn't have to get mad about it. <laughs> it didn't change who he was. When I get around some of these sports teams, pastor, I'm telling you, especially in the college level, when I walked in sports teams that sucked, they're the most arrogant players, cockiest. They got something to prove. When I get around a great sports team, great program, I walk in, they're the humble, nice, they got nothing to prove. When you know your strength, what does the Bible say? My gentleness has made me great. God can be gentle because he knows his real power. When my son uh, Stephen was born, all nine pounds, 10 ounces of him, I held him. I was able to bench press close to 500 pounds. But I held him so delicately, so gently. I remember Dr. Cole walked up and said, hey, look at how Tommy's holding that baby. Because he knows his strength. When you're strong, you can be gentle. When you're strong with God and know who you are, you don't have to prove anything. There can be a soft, quiet confidence to you. There can be a bold. You know why I can get bold and get out on campuses and preach the gospel? Stand up in face of people that, that mock, spit, hit, kick, throw stuff at me? I don't care. I don't have to prove I know I'm right. I know I'm standing on God's side. And therefore, I got nothing to prove. God's got my back. There's a confidence I can face life and the challenges and know all these things are true. What God's begun, he's going to be complete. I'm part of his creation. This was not a, a Tom idea. This was a God idea. God's working on my behalf to produce fruit. God's favoring me. He's put his faith in me. I can move mountains because of who's in me. Those are the eight things that God promises of who you are. If you start seeing who you are, I believe this can be the greatest year of breakthroughs, of prosperity, of favor, of grace. It's not contingent by how much you make. It's not contingent about circumstances being perfect. It's about who's in you and where you're going. You cannot be defeated. That's awesome news. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. It's not just about... We hear it all the time about what we don't have and what we need and the hypocrisy. And, but Father, how about those that are standing in right standings with you? The chosen. Those that are under your grace. 
Father, I believe right now you're resetting, recalibrating the mindset of your people to see that we're your creation. We're part of your family, a royal nation, a royal priesthood, a people after God's own heart. That when we're at our job or in our communities, in our families, people should look at us differently. There's something different about you. There's royalty. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Your value and your worth is greater than gold. God's got more good thoughts about you than the grains of the sand and sea. That's like having your big brother with you 24-7 saying, Hey, you mess with me, you're messing with my big brother. Father, I pray right now that as our minds are recalibrated to seeing who we are, that you'll release your power, your grace. There's people here you've been struggling in depression and in darkness. You've been struggling with things that have held you back. This is your crossover. That we're going into the things of God. That we're pressing on to the fullness of what God's called us to be. And in our hearts, we will not settle for anything less. Father, release your grace on your people right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen.